Welcome to the Bad Soccer Dad Podcast, where we're asking, why do our attempts to bring out the best in young athletes often bring out the worst in parents? And what would it take to flip the script? Join us each week as we seek to develop better parents, better athletes, and better conversations. Here's your host, Steve Norman. See, dads, I don't know about you, but sometimes my greatest temptation is to try to figure out how to be in control. How to be in control and how to use money or influence or expertise or how to use threats or bribes or rebuke or cajoling to manipulate the people in my household or manipulate the people on my work teams to do what I want, how I want it, when I want it. And the cold reality that life and Jesus remind me of on a regular basis is that I'm not in control. And sometimes God will give us some very harsh reminders that let us know that we are not, in fact, in control. But here's what I found the hard way. Some of you are familiar with our Celebrate Recovery ministry and know that anybody can come to Celebrate Recovery, but if you come for a while, there's kind of like a next level, and that's called a step study. When you go into a step study, it's an accountability, coaching, encouraging group that you commit to being on a journey for a year. One of the things I learned from a friend, a sponsor, a mentor in my step study, he goes, Steve, it is terrifying to admit that you're not in control. He goes, it is also intensely liberating. Because once you know that, you're not, that, you, that you couldn't be in control even if you wanted to be, you can rest in the fact that somebody is, control, somebody is in control and it doesn't have to be you. Now, make no mistake, that doesn't mean that we're like flippant and lazy, but to, to Micah's point, it's not my job to provide for my family, it's God's job to provide for my family. Now, that said, it's my job to partner with God as he provides for my family. Like, I, I need to get a job, I need to manage my finances, I need to pay bills. Like, I, there, are, there are responsibilities that I fulfill as a citizen, as a person, as a father, as a husband, yes. But ultimately, it's not my job to defend my family from harm in the unknown. That's God's job. And if I roll out of bed every single day saying the thing that Micah has reminded us of, that God is more committed to the well-being of my family than even I am, I can breathe a little deeper. And I can say, God, you're already providing for my family in ways that I don't see yet. Will you remind me that you're doing that? So that rather than me having to be wear the God hat for my family, I let you wear that. And I realize that my, all my, my only job is to walk with you, to trust you, to honor you to listen to your voice and trust you enough to follow it when you speak. I've got a lot of memories of my dad who, although not perfect, did a lot of, a lot of things right. But I'll tell you what, there, there is one image that is seared so deep in my brain that I, I don't know that I'll ever forget it. When I was 16... I did not have a curfew. Here's why. I'm the fifth of six kids, and I think that by the time they got to me, they were just tired. <laughs> and I think that my parents were like, Steve, here's 20 bucks for gas, and here's the keys. Leave us alone. Come back sometime later. <laughs> my older sibling, I had some siblings that were seven years older than I, so I was a teenager. They were in their early 20s. And there comes a point in your life as a parent where you tell your kids what are wise choices to make, but once they're out there in the hard, cold, scary world, you have no idea what they're going to do. And so my dad knew the only thing that he could do was pray. Because like, God, they are beyond my reach. 
I cannot help them and I cannot save them. Will you protect them from themselves? And I remember on more than one occasion coming in the front door of that red brick colonial on Franklin. The stairs are here going up to all of the bedrooms. The living room is right here. And my dad would be asleep on his knees with his head on the couch with a blanket on the floor and an open Bible because he was doing all that he knew to do, which was praying us safely home. Because it wasn't his job to protect us anymore. So last week, I found out that my, my dad's health has been deteriorating. And so on Friday night, I sat by his bedside at a hospital bed in suburban Chicago and with four of my sisters, we all recounted that story. We put our hands on dad's head and said, dad, there was a season in our life where you prayed us home. And now's the time for us to do the same for you. for us to pray you home into the loving, open, expecting arms of Jesus. We're doing this podcast and we had a chance to interview a guy by the name of Brad Griffin on parenting and he said, there's two prayers that I always pray for my children and they are these. Every night when my kids go to bed, and at this point in their family history, I think they're middle school and high school, he goes, God, I pray that they would know that they're loved and that they're never alone. God, I pray that they would know that they're loved and that they're never alone. See, the truth is some of you are in a parenting season right now as dads where you feel like the wheels are coming off and you're scared. And you, and you go back to that verse that said, you know what, the Bible says that if you train a child up in the way that he should go when he's old, he won't depart from it. Well, here's the problem. The Bible never says how old old is. <laughs> There's some of us like, my kid is 12. They should be walking in the way. Yeah, no, that's not happening right now. My kid's 22. My kid's 32. My kid's 42. My kid's 52. Some of you, you're, my kid's 62. When are they, they going to find their way back? And in our panic, you know what we do? We look for someone to blame. And because we're so committed to our children's well-being, we're like, well, because they're not walking with the God, it's got to be somebody's fault. And it sure, heck, it sure as heck isn't mine. I, I, did, I did my job. So we, 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 we try to blame the church or we blame the government or we blame secular universities because we are so overwhelmed with fear, we don't know how to respond. And Jesus says, I love your son or daughter even more than you do. I am walking with them. Will you pray that they would know that they're loved? And that they're never alone. You know what the book of Romans says? The Rome, book of Romans says that it's God's what that leads us to repentance. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And the truth is, we're not going to shame our children back into relationships with Jesus. We're going to love and pray them to a place where they would have this beacon that says, home is here. And whenever our children are in our presence, all I want for them to know is that they're loved by us and they're deeply loved by God and that they're never alone. And no matter where they've been or what they've done, 
there's always a seat for them at our table. A place where they would know that they belong to God and they belong to us. And they don't have to walk another step of their lives in fear, in spite of all the uncertainty that they face. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for your great love for us. I thank you that you're inviting us to trust you and follow you with all of who we are. And Lord, to those of us who have forgotten that we're loved, give us a clear and compelling and tangible picture of your compassion. And those of us who have settled for the lie that we're terribly and horribly alone, I pray that you would remind us that you walk with us. God, let today be a day where we give testament to your goodness. And if we can't see how you're going to be good yet, I pray that you would give us the grace to rest, even in the tension, knowing that because you provided before, you are providing now. Give us eyes to see it. We pray these things in Christ's name.